This is Get Outside with Kids. I'm Jen. And I'm Kate. Life with kids is messy. You might as well take the chaos outside. We're definitely not experts, but we've tried a few things over the years, and maybe you can learn from our messy, muddy mistakes. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Get Outside with Kids. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about finding a toddler-friendly campsite. Uh, now, if you've ever camped before as just adults or a group of friends, um, there's probably certain things you look for in a campsite, or maybe you're not looking for anything. You're just looking for a space to get outside and have a few drinks around a campfire with friends. Uh, however, once you start hiking or camping with a toddler, there are a few more things that are going to stand out and are pretty noticeable. Uh, the first time you camp with a toddler and some of these amenities are not available, it's going to become quite apparent what those are. So we're going to talk about a few different ones and some of the examples where we made the mistake of camping up the wrong campground. I think the most important thing about camping with a toddler or a baby is if you have done a lot of camping in your pre-kid life, you might be kind of a spontaneous type of person who just really enjoys sort of living on the edge, winging it. And, you know, I think back to me and my now husband, before we had kids, we'd do crazy things. Like we're here in Vancouver and we'd say things on a Friday night at seven o'clock, like, why don't we go down to the States? This is pre-COVID. Why don't we go down to Mount Baker in the US and go camping tonight? And so we'd pack up our stuff at seven o'clock on a Friday night. We'd go across the border, which again, pre-COVID, not something you can do easily right now. And we'd get down there and we'd be like, oh no, all the campsites are full in the campsite we wanted to go to. Never mind, we'll sleep in the car. And in the morning, we'll be right there at the trailhead for when we just want to get up and go. And, you know, that's amazing when you don't have kids, spontaneous, you get to live that adventurous life. If you have kids, the idea of getting in the car at seven o'clock on a Friday night to cross an international border to go camping with no reservation, it gives me like, I want to have a panic attack hearing that. Basically, you can't really wing it with kids and camping takes a little bit more planning, a little bit more um, thinking ahead so that you can have the best experience and not be put off it forever. If you're listening in here, here in BC, you might know that a lot of people like to go camping. And if you want to book anywhere in a provincial park or in a national park, if you're in the eastern, particularly in the eastern part of the province, then you've really got to have your ducks in a row. You've got to have things planned out exactly two months in advance. So at 7 a.m. that morning, you get on the reservation site and you're ready to go. So it's a really different experience. I think beyond just knowing when the reservations are going to open up, though, there's the things to look out for. One example I have of a trip that did not go according to plan and that we just didn't think about was when we, we had a two-and-a-half-year-old and I was 36 weeks pregnant. Just going to let that sink in for a second. We went camping when I was 36 weeks pregnant with my second kid. I honestly don't know what we were thinking. I think I have you topped on that one, Kate, because I think I was 37 weeks pregnant. What? My second- Why were we doing this, Jen? I'd, yeah, uh, our second kid was born eight days after that camping trip, our very last camping trip that we went on. I don't know why. Looking back, it, like, it's I a crazy love, idea. I love camping, but that is absurd. There is no way you can be comfortable at 36 and 37 weeks pregnant in a tent. Anyway. Regardless, we decided to get out of the house. We went to a campsite called Porto Cove, which is between Vancouver and Squamish. Beautiful place. If you are driving up the Cedar Sky Highway, one of the most beautiful drives in the world. And Porto Cove is a stunning location. And 
particularly if you have a hard-sided RV or camper trailer, amazing place to go, something that's, you know, a little soundproof. And I saw all these people set up in their camper vans and their camper trailers and their RVs and it's like, okay, cool. We set up our little tent there on the side of the water and you're literally on the ocean. It's beautiful. And our two-year-old loved it, throwing rocks into the ocean, looking out, looking for whales, doing a little bit of beach combing on the beach around there. What you don't know about Porto Cove from just a quick perusal of the website is that there is a train line that goes right alongside the campsite, like right there. And so every time a train comes through, it has to sound its whistle. It has to sound its whistle. It has to blow its horn, even if it's coming through at 2 a.m. in the morning. So you learn pretty quickly at Porto Cove that the trains come they operate all night, all night. So there I am in a tent alongside our two and a half year old, 36 weeks pregnant. Maybe I finally drifted off to sleep, which is a miracle when you're that, that pregnant, sleeping on a blow up mattress in a tent, only to be awoken by this massive loud train going chugging right past us. It was so, it's super close. When you're down there, if you're ever down there during the day, you look across and like, oh yeah, gee, that is pretty close, but there's no trains here. Surely they wouldn't have trains coming past a campsite in the middle of the night. They do. Everybody wakes up. I wake up, kid wakes up. It's very unpleasant. So while Porto Cove might be a beautiful place to visit in the day and it seems like the perfect camping location, it's a horrible idea if you're sleeping in a tent. Also a horrible idea to go camping at 36 weeks pregnant. I think you'd probably agree with that, Jen, right? Yeah. You're giving me like the willies just thinking about that. I am (laughs) such a light sleeper as it is. Like at my own house where I sleep in a pretty quiet neighborhood, I sleep with earplugs. Like I'm very noise sensitive, especially since having children at all. I used to wake up to the sound of them like breathing funny, you know, those days of having a newborn. Like I think, I think the baby breathes incorrectly and you panic awake. And so I feel like even now, five years later, it's been hard for me to let go of that. So I'm just like getting the willies because I know how such a a bad sleeper I am, even at the best of times at the thought of a train going by. I think I would cry. Like I think I would just be in tears crying in the tent. The other thing about that campsite that I didn't realize, and and again, I could have looked at the maps a little more closely and looked at the scale on them. You're really close to other people. And so you have these beautiful sites that you walk into. So you're quite far from your car, but they're all really close together. So when I was lying down on my air mattress in the tent, I was probably about five meters from a group of people sitting around a campfire who stayed up past midnight drinking and talking and laughing five meters with no solid wall between. I've got a tent flap between us. So that's another thing to look out for. Firstly, is there a train? Secondly, am I 36 weeks pregnant? Thirdly, are there people sitting five meters away from me who are going to be getting drunk all night and talking? If the answer to any of those things is yes, don't go. (laughs) Don't take your toddler. You won't sleep. They won't sleep. You have a horrible time. Yeah, the noise thing is such a big one when you're young and, you know, child free, even just not young, just frankly, child free. You are those people who stay up till midnight around the fire talking and you probably don't think you're being loud and they might not have even been being overly loud. But when you're trying to go to bed, like, 
10 o'clock because your toddler's going to get up at 6 a.m., it feels probably excruciatingly loud, even if they're just talking in a normal voice. So yeah, definitely looking for uh, campsites where you've got a bit more space between the sites themselves and also some natural sound barriers like trees or water features that are going to help to buffer that sound is super important. And pack earplugs. I pack not one, but two sets of earplugs so that I have a backup set whenever I go camping to help muffle the noise even more. The water feature thing is a really big one because if you're next to a nice river with like rushing water, it doesn't really matter how loud your neighbors are because that sound can actually drown it out, which can be great for having a toddler go to sleep. Obviously can be a little bit of a hazard. I have stayed in some campsites pre-kids with rushing water with amazing sound, you know, covers up all the sounds. You might not be super comfortable about having your kids like 10 meters away from very fast moving cold glacial water. (laughs) about you know like when you look at those maps that lay out where the campsites are in a campground you've got to be looking at those distances and you've got to be thinking hmm how far away is that the best way to plan for a lot of these kind of specifics around the campsite is looking at the photos of them when you can see the photos and you can see like is there a steep drop off down to the water that's also not cool (laughs) if you're a parent you know these things right most campsites um you know they're not surrounded by these kind of features but if they are you might feel a little uncomfortable with your newly walking kid or your very fast running toddler and the, the kinds of things that they can get into just alongside your campsite another big feature that again if you haven't ever camped with kids you probably don't even notice exist at campsites are playgrounds. Lo and behold, before kids, I didn't actually ever notice there were playgrounds at some campsites, especially here in provincial parks in BC. And then once you have kids, you're like, oh, there's a playground here. It's a miracle. And while a playground seems like such a small thing, there's this time in the afternoon where you're trying to make supper and everyone's getting a little antsy and you're trying to do a few things. And having a playground nearby, bonus points if you can book the adjacent site to a playground, is like game changing. Uh, the times when it's worked out sometimes just by happy accident that we got a really close date to the playground, especially as our kids have been older and they can actually go there by themselves and we can see them clearly at the playground, but we could be at our campsite cooking dinner. Oh, that is a game changer because finally we could be cooking dinner, glass of wine, obviously in hand, and our children are having the time of their lives at their playground, burning off that last bit of energy, but not being underfoot while you maybe have the campfire going or while you've got the, you know, your burners on to cook some dinner. So that is a huge feature. Um, If you are using the BC Provincial Parks website, the playgrounds are marked on them. They have icons for them. So you can see exactly where they are on the map. And then, of course, try and, you know, denote which sites are closest to it. So if and when you are booking that reservation ahead of time, you can definitely, you know, kind of circle those ones in uh, to be close to there. And for me, if I had to choose even between like waterfront site or playground site, I think at this point with young kids, the playground site to me is actually better. To Kate's point, the water site, it depends on the type of water. Is it still water? Is it rushing? Is the water itself going to be a risk factor depending on the body of water you're close to? Versus, and of course, if their kids are near water, of course, you're going to be supervising them the whole time. The playground, on the other hand, a little bit more free range parenting there, because if again, if you can watch them and observe them, it's a bit of a safer space for them to be. And again, if the weather's not great, you might not be down by the water anyways, but no matter what the weather is, you will definitely use the playground. So take a look at for sure anyone that has a playground. Um, and if you spend enough time camping like we do, your kids will point out which exact playground park features are like other playground park features now that we have been to enough. <laughs> they basically order the same playground setting for like each of the parks. So we've seen the same one at like Chilliwack Lake, 
Rathtrevor, Manning Park. They're the same playgrounds. <laughs> we did stay at that beautiful campsite together, Jen, at Manning Park, where we were connected by just a tiny little trail through the forest to the playground. And so we could almost see the kids from there. And it was, it made it much more relaxing knowing that, you know, they're running, if they're running over there, we could still see where they're going. Another great feature about a lot of campsites that we have stayed at is like the big grassy space. There's a really nice big grassy field at Chilliwack Lake Provincial Park where we've been a few times. And if you can get the campsite that's right on that, the kids can have a soccer ball, you can have a frisbee, you can put the picnic blanket out there. I think actually the best feature about the Chilliwack Lake Provincial Park grassy spot is there's this massive hole that always seems to be there and it doesn't grow grass in it it's just like a dirt pit so you send the kids off with their bucket and their spade and they spend like an hour just digging in the dirt and you can see them from from the door of your tent you can see them from the table and that I love those campsites where there's just huge grassy space in front of you and uh, you can see the kids for a long way um, so they've got the freedom to kind of go adventuring and exploring but you know remembering that they're only three or four they don't you still need to be able to see them and have good sight lines. Yeah, the grassy field one was uh, is a big one you don't often think about. Again, pre-kids, you probably, maybe you frolic in the fields. I mean, that would be amazing, all the power to you, but you might be doing less frolicking in a field if you don't have a toddler, probably not kicking around a soccer ball as much or throwing a Frisbee. But yeah, the, the grassy field ones for sure. The first times we stayed at places like that, that had those big, wide open spaces, so much more space. One thing, again, depending on your toddler age, if your toddler is newly walking, so let's call that one to one and a half, a lot of campsites are gravel, which you can imagine there's a lot of falling on the gravel, which can sometimes make your campsite, to be quite honest, really annoying because your kid is going to eat it. If it's summer and it's hot, you're like, do I put them in pants and a long sleeve anyways, just so they don't scrape themselves up so much? But even if you do that, Jen, their faces will still get grazed when they fall over. I have had that before. The kid just goes head face first down into the gravel and their face is just chaos. They're so <laughs> top heavy still at that point. You know, they just go down with their head. Regularly, my head kids, they have massive heads. <laughs> your kids do have big heads. <laughs> Just see the toque sizes on these kids. <laughs> um, but that's where those grassy fields are so great because you can finally get the kids, okay, like let's take a walk away from the kid gravel campsite where you keep eating it in the dirt. And then the grassy field again, where you can test out those new little walking legs, you know, and not and not hurt yourself so much. As the kids get older, the gravel site doesn't become such a bother, but certainly in those younger ages, it's a bit of a pain um, in the butt. And if you don't have space to run around, they're just going to run around underfoot. One time we were staying at a campsite at, uh, it was at Cultus Lake actually, and our campsite, there's not a lot of green space around the campsites there, but there was this like wooded area the children were going to play in. So picture like a thick wooded area. We could see them though. So the two older toddlers were out running in the wooded area. Oh, and then we heard the scream of screams. Like, you know, when your kid there's different types of scream your kid has. There's like the annoying scream, the like I'm hurt a bit scream. And then there's the like, I'm very hurt scream, like the scream of both terror and pain, the kind that pierces your heart. And so my, who was four at the time starts, you know, that absolute terror scream at the top of his lungs screaming. My husband runs out into the wooded area to go get him. And my toddler had kicked over a hornet's nest. Uh, so he was covered in stings. Poor guy. He's screaming. My husband runs in, gets him out, you know, swats all the, the hornets or the wasps away. I don't know if they're hornets or wasps. I know there's a technical difference. They were one of the bad ones. Not sting. The sting, the pain. Uh, you know, and of course, my four-year-old's now, you know, we got to get a shirt off and anything. And he had been stung like a 
dozen times. He's got stings all down his arms, all down his back and everything. Really upset, of course. Luckily, he was not allergic. So in the end, it was all it was all good. But that was such a good reminder of like, you know, we often encourage our children to go play in the woods and we were supervising them. We could see them. They weren't that far away. But there are situations like that where they're like, yeah, just go play over there. And then something like that can happen. So when you have a bit more of an open grassy field, probably less likely to kick over a hornet's nest. Um, the good news about that story all worked out fine. Like I said, no reactions. He kind of conked out early to bed that night and then bless his little heart. Just as we were about to go to bed, it was like 1030. He actually woke up and said, mommy, can I still have a marshmallow though? <laughs> Is it still time for a mar- And I said, yeah, honey, you could come have a marshmallow still because he had missed the whole marshmallow experience with the whole hornet sticking. So that's how you know your kid's going to be okay. When we can get back to making marshmallows by the fire, the rest of the weekend was salvaged, but it certainly was a heart-stopping moment when it happened. One of the other things I think that we have come to, I know, come to appreciate when we've gone camping together as well is the availability of hiking trails right there within the campsite as well. You know, some, I guess we're mostly talking about a lot of provincial parks here, uh, BC Park sites. Um, and some of the BC Park sites are quite small. Um, so they're the only place to walk around them is really to walk the road on the campground and to kind of go up and down that or around that. And if you have kids with their bikes, that could get a little old because it's quite short. But a lot of campsites have walking or hiking trails that start right there in the campground. Like we're at Little Qualicum Falls in the summer and there's really nice trails that make, they're only maybe two, two kilometers, two and a half kilometers to a waterfall or to some other kind of viewpoint like that. I know Goldstream on the island is also like that too. And you don't really have to go anywhere to have your adventure. You don't have to leave the campground to have a whole day because as you'll know from listening to our other podcasts about hiking with babies and toddlers, 2Ks can be, that's a whole day in some cases. <laughs> that could be a big adventure. That's a whole adventure. Whole two kilometers <laughs> could be a whole day adventure, but it can be. <laughs> it can be. So that's a really nice thing to look out for on um, on campgrounds is whether there's hiking trails that start right there because if you have to get into your car and drive to a trailhead get out of the car and then back into the car to come back in it does kind of take away from the experience a little bit i think the other thing to mention as well is that we've been talking a lot about provincial parks but you know many of the same things are true of private campgrounds too a lot of them have great photos where you can see each of the sites and i think it's also important to be looking at reviews as well and to reading on a private campground's website about their noise restrictions and whether you know the kinds of camping that they encourage because there are some camp private campgrounds up in say squamish for example where people like to go and party and i say this as somebody who went on a camping bachelorette trip before i had kids and yeah we went to party like we were up late and we're probably loud to our neighbors and that's the kind of camp that that part of the campground was what that was for but if you don't read the fine print on that kind of stuff and you don't read that they you know quiet time is from 10 p.m maybe they say quiet times at midnight or <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe there is no quiet time. <laughs> maybe they don't have a quiet time. Maybe they have adult-only parts of the, the campground where putting your kid to bed at 8 o'clock is just going to be almost impossible. So definitely things to look out for, at least with the BC Parks Provincial Park System, it's kind of standard. Parks Canada sites I know that I've been to are pretty similar as well and they have those kind of standard rules across them and you can kind of expect that people are going to be sort of quieter and a bit more subdued. doesn't mean you're not going to be next to a party animal. That still happens, but you're less likely to be in that situation where it's very loud. 
And one good thing to mention here too is that for most of these uh, campgrounds, especially uh, BC Parks and Parks Canada, they do have day use areas as well. So if you're a little bit nervous about booking a trip there and not sure what the situation is and you want to see it for yourself, you can certainly go and visit a day use area. You could drive around to the campground to really get like a hands-on feel for it and then still have a, just a daytime experience, you know, doing the trail or maybe going for a splash in the lake um, and then commit to doing a trip there. So you certainly don't have to book a trip if you're not as familiar with BC Parks or it's a place you've never been to before. If it's somewhere you can get to easily in a day, try it out for a day trip. See it, do the little walk around, see exactly what campsite you would like, see the features that it has for things like a playground. Where are the bathrooms located? Are they just outhouses or do they actually have like a bathroom uh, wash house if that's your preference? And then you can feel more comfortable booking those locations. And you need to know the number of the site that you want to go for, particularly if you're in a really popular site, um, like say Golden Ears, which is really accessible from Vancouver. So it's a very popular site. I think the one other thing that I'd mentioned in here, Jen, that again, I know we've had great experience with was at Manning Park last year, the possibility to go to interpretive programs in the park was really awesome. And so there were evening programs offered at Manning Park, which we could take our kiddos along to and I mean, I learned a lot from theirs. I think the kids kind of did. It was nice to have something to go to after dinner. And it is the kind of feel that you get in a lot of US parks where there's a lot of evening programs where you can learn about things. Parks Canada does a great job of those interpretive programs as well. So, yeah, that's something to look out for as well. Particularly if you have kids who are a little older, they can really pick up all those kind of facts as well. Yeah, awesome. So, I think uh, our biggest kind of takeaways this one first is you kind of have to leave the days of winging it goodbye if you have small children. Hey, if you're that adventurous, though, by all means, go for it. I just don't think it's a fit for Kate and myself. And particularly not in the lower mainland. Maybe if you're in, you know, if you're in northern BC, if you're in eastern BC, if you're in some places on the island, you may be able to wing it. You may be able to show up to that campsite without a reservation, without really thinking about it at four o'clock on a Friday, without having planned it in advance. And that might work out for you. Where we are in the lower mainland around Vancouver, it's not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> will, no, that's just a fact. Not get maybe a spot like in the, the odd Wednesday. Yeah, maybe on like a, the odd Tuesday or Wednesday you might, but certainly those weekends are going to be booked out in advance. The next one is noise. Take a look like, are there a train site near you? Is it a party campground? Is there any sound barriers between you and your neighbors? And when in doubt, pack earplugs or maybe a good set of headphones. The next one I talked about was playgrounds. Again, if that's if your children are at an age where they would enjoy a playground, if you're able to snag a a campsite near a playground. Amazing. Also amazing to have an open grassy field. If there's both combined, even better. And when in doubt, of course, visit the day use area, get a hands-on feel for yourself. And always know that if things really don't go to plan, you can always pack up that car and drive home and give yourself a high five for just trying to get outside with your toddler anyways. We're also happy to share tips, ideas, places that we've been. We'd love to hear from you as well. So you can reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram at Get Outside With Kids.